You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor George Willis, which is from our sermon series, Winning the War in Your Mind. For more info, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. Hey, good morning, everyone. Did you greet those around you this morning, welcoming them to probably one of the best days of their life called Sunday morning here at Creekside? No? Uh, I got to tell you, uh, I, was, um, I, I was chatting with uh, some of those, actually everybody who's watching online, uh, welcome. Uh, Hannah from Arizona, I think Jim's in Texas visiting his daughter. Eric is, uh, uh, I think, watching from Walnut Creek. Pat P, Pat P, my good friend. I don't know where you're watching from, but you're online. Um, and uh, Josh Sealander, all the way from the back wall, he's online watching us from there. Um, can we <laughs> and you know what's amazing? Uh, for those watching online, my mom, Brenda, actually commented for the first time that I've ever seen. So can we give her a hand? Way to go, mom. My number one fan next to my wife. Uh, I, I heard some really good things that are happening in these, in these uh, Creekside groups, especially the ones centered around winning the war uh, in your mind. Uh, I was part of one last week, and oh my gosh, how amazing uh, is it that God's using the stuff that we're going through uh, to really impact and change the way we think, renew our mind, as the Apostle Paul says, and uh, change our life. I didn't realize how messed up we were. I say that jokingly. But man, it's, it's been amazing, and I myself am learning a lot as I go through, listen, read, prepare uh, for all that we have going on. Guys, it's good job. Way to have your, your ears open, your heart stretched, and allowing God just to change some things in our life. So let me ask you this question. How many of you would say, you're, by a show of hands, this is not rhetorical, um, and, and be honest. How many of you guys would say that you're living a pretty decent life, like things are good? Let's raise our hand. Uh, but the reality is, with those hands raised, come on, raise your hand. Every single one of us with our hands raised can probably identify one area that we always complain about right? Our life's going good, but there's always something that we can complain about. If that's true, say amen. amen. What do we know about our mind? Our mind is a battlefield. Our mind is a battlefield, and most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. And the li our life, and I'm kind of giving you a quick review if you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks, our life that we live often is a reflection of our strongest thoughts that we think. What comes into our mind comes out in our life. And you cannot have a positive life if you have a negative mind. It's all in the book. Quick review um, of a couple of weeks ago when we kicked off our message based on the book by Craig Rochelle, Winning the War in Your Mind. And I want to review a key thought from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It says this, 
For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Now, I'm going to give you a heads up. If, you're, uh, if it's your first time with us this morning, when, whenever something's bold and underlined, that, that is your invitation to ring, read those words along with me. It says, we do not fight... Uh, with the weapons. The weapons we fight with are not uh, uh, the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have what? To do what? You know what that sounds like? That sounds like a family feud when they, <laughs> when, when they read the rest of the uh, uh, answers, doesn't it? I mean, let's be honest. Sorry, I got squirrels. They have what? Divine power to do what? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we do what? We take to do what? Make it obedient to Christ. The title of today's message is Defeat Your Negative Thoughts. Defeating Our Negative Thoughts. And Father, I pray right now that you do open our ears. You stretch our hearts. And Father, because of your faithfulness, you give us the ability through your divine power to take every negative thought captive. And we pray that you begin to renew our mind, Father. Change the way we think so our lives can be changed for your good and your purpose. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Over the past few weeks, we have been talking about the power of our mind. I mean, the reality is God created our mind. God created it. And the mind is powerful. We talked about neural pathways. What are neural pathways? They form in our brain. And what's so interesting, the more you think a thought, the more you know, a, a thought takes up a pattern in your mind, it plays on loop, the more a pathway is created in your mind and the easier it is to think that thought again. Today, we're gonna expand on that idea and I wanna talk to you about what you may have already heard of. And I want to talk to you about something called cognitive bias. Cognitive bias. It's often called a mental filter. A mental filter. What is a cognitive bias? A simple definition of this. A mistake in reasoning based on personal experiences or preferences. Can anybody relate to that? It's a mental filter or a framework, say framework, that ultimately impacts how we think. In other words, if, if growing up you had something really bad happen to you, you might develop a mental framework of thinking or a filter where you might see situations inaccurately. For example, maybe you grew up around an abusive uh, parental structure. Maybe you grew up around abusive, uh, uh, an abusive authority environment. And because our filter shapes how we see, later in life, it's, it's hard to do what? Trust authority. And you make an inaccurate judgment, maybe for those of us who may not like our bosses, no one here at Creekside, 
You, 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 you make an inaccurate judgment about your employer or your boss. Or maybe you grew up hearing your parents say, all Raider fans are bad. Let me finish. All Raiders fans are bad, but then you find yourself kind of gravitating towards the dark side. And then what do you do? You feel guilty because you're like, they're not all that bad. But your filter of, of, of your environment that you grow up in, grew up in, shaped how you see it. The filters you and I have shape how we see life. And what's interesting is that if you change the filter, it often changes how you feel. What is cognitive bias? It's a default filter that every single one of us has. It's when our brain is pre-wired to think or interpret a situation in a certain way, even if your interpretation of that situation is entirely inaccurate. This is why two different people can experience the same exact thing and have two completely different responses to the same situation. Because what do we know to be true? It's not the facts that are different, it's the filter that is different. The facts remain the same, but two different people have two different filters based on their life experiences. For example, in the workplace, an employer can give the same exact feedback to two different employees. And you know what happens? One is like, oh my gosh, how dare you tell me my job is inadequate and blah, 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 and whatever. And they, they just hate it and they're angry and they're mad at their boss. But the other one can receive it and go, oh my gosh, thank you so much for the feedback. This really helps me. Or maybe you walk into a church and you can see two different people respond to the same exact service. One person walks into church and all these people that I see sitting here are all hypocrites. They're pretending to be one thing, but they act like another outside of these walls. While the other one walks in and go, oh my gosh, I can see God moving. I can see the power and the presence of God in this place. Same two people, different what? Filter. Maybe if you're familiar with this pick, you guys remember this? You guys are like, come on, don't. I know you've seen this scrolling through your social media feed. The same people could look at this pic of this, the, the, the van shoe on the left side and go, it's green. No, it's pink. Or someone could look at the dress and say, it's blue. No, it's pink. It's white. It's gold. I don't know. But it all came out that it's neither anything because it's whatever the filter they put on the pic wants you to see. How many hours did you spend looking at that going, I didn't see the pink shoe. <laughs> Two different people could look at the, the same exact thing and see 
see it through a different filter because it's not the facts that are different. It's the what, church? The filter. You can even see an example of this throughout Scripture. There are powerful examples of this in the Old Testament. This is one of them in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. It's the story of the 12 spies. Are you guys familiar with the story of the 12 spies? Moses sent out 12 spies to explore the land. 12 different dudes. How many? 12 different dudes went out. And what did they see? They all saw, all 12 of them saw the same exact thing. But what they reported back to Moses was completely different. Because it wasn't the facts that were different. It was the filter that they saw it through. Two of them came back and said, man, it is great. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Let's go take the land. Ten of them came back and said, heck no, it's too dangerous. I think it's interesting that the majority saw it through a negative lens. It's dangerous. The land devours people. You, we're, we're dealing with giants here. And we're all like grasshoppers in their eyes. What happened? Their filter changed their perception of how they felt. And how did they feel? They felt like they were grasshoppers. Grasshoppers in the eyes of Nephilim. It's the filter. Same exact thing. Different filter. It wasn't the facts that were different. It was the filter. If you're watching online in the comments section, type, it's the filter. It's the filter. But it's just not the filter that matters. It's also the frame. It's the frame. You can be in the very same situation. And how you frame it determines how you see it. I want to draw your attention to a tool that is in the book where Craig Groeschel calls it reframing. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's about reframing. Again, a simple definition of reframing. I mean, what it, what it does, it, it means to what it, what it means to reframe a situation, it says this about reframing, creating a different way of looking at a situation or a relationship by changing its meaning. Simply creating a different way of interpreting or looking at a situation by changing its meaning. For example, you can wake up one morning and you could determine ahead of time that your day, and how many of us do this, my day is going to be difficult. I got a lot to do. I got a lot to do with a lot of people I don't like. I'm going to sit in traffic. I don't like the coffee that they serve at my office. I'm overwhelmed. I'm tired. Life is hard. Has anybody ever woken up and started thinking those thoughts? Liars. Most of us did it on the way to church this morning. <laughs> I know I did. No, I'm just kidding. 
kidding. I, I look forward to hanging out with you guys on Sunday. You can, and, and if you wake up saying those things and framing your day, pre-framing your day with that mindset of negativity, guess what? You will have a horrible day. Shocking, isn't it? That shouldn't surprise anyone. On the other hand, if you wake up, if you take that same situation, yeah, you got a lot to do. Yeah, you're overwhelmed. Yeah, you, got, you, know, you, you work with people that you may not necessarily like and the coffee may be bad. But if you wake up with that same situation and you reframe it, and we what, church? You might say something like this. I have a lot to do today. I understand that. But I am so thankful that my God is with me and has given everything I will ever need to accomplish what he put out before me. Think, I'm thankful for my job. I'm thankful that, thankful that I have a car that gets me from here to there. I'm great, uh, grateful for the, the good times I have with my coworkers. You see the, the flip of the script there? The, the good times that I have with my coworkers. Not the, all, all the bad times or the hard times or the difficult times that I have. I'm thankful for today because it's going to be a good day. It's the facts that change. Or it's, it's not the facts that change. It's the filter. It's how we frame it. And what's sad to me, I, I think... I think some of us may be kind of framing God that way. We're framing God in a way where we're saying, hey, God, I don't like what's happening. I don't like all of this, like, suffering I got to go. I don't like where I am right now. Instead of going or looking for the goodness of God. It's not just the facts that are different. It's, it's more often the filter or the, the frame that we put around it. The, the truth is, I mean, what do we know about what happens in life? You know, we pretend to not know this, but we actually know these two things. That one, you can't control what happens to you, but we kind of act like we do, Right? We can't control what happens to us. But here's a reality and something that we probably should get a little stronger in. We can control how we frame it. We can't control what happens to us, but we can control how we frame it. And that's good news. And I'd like to take a moment and ask every single one of us to think about your life right now in this moment. Think about your life. Think about where you are. I mean, how many of you wanted something in life, but right now you are experiencing just the opposite? Think about that for a second. I mean, you thought by this time in your life you would, you know, be in a certain place. Maybe by this time in your life you, you thought you would be in a certain type of relationship.
But instead of being in that place or in that desired relationship or achieving something that you set out to achieve in life, you are experiencing just the opposite. I mean, for some of you, you worked hard. You worked hard to earn a degree and, and now you're, you're finding yourself in a job that you are overqualified for in a completely different field than your degree and you're going, how in the world did I end up here? How did I get to this place? Maybe for some, you've dreamed of a great marriage. And then you, you thought you married the, the, the spouse of your dreams. But then today you find yourself divorced. How, how did, this isn't, I, I didn't, what? How, how did I get here? Maybe you thought at this point in your life, you would be completely out of debt and have a firm grasp on how to steward the, the, the finances that God's blessed you with. Maybe you thought, hey, I'm going to be able to retire. And you were looking forward to that. Then you find yourself saying, why am I not where I wanted to be? Has anybody said that to themselves? Why am I not where I wanted to be? Why am I not with who I wanted to be with? Why do I not? I mean, you expected something different. You expected something better. I mean, have you ever woke up and said, this isn't what I wanted. I wanted the opposite of what I have and where I am. I mean, if you're like me, you probably have. But the good news is the Apostle Paul knows exactly what you are feeling at this moment if you are saying that to yourself right now. Paul dreamed, the Apostle Paul, what he dreamed of going to Rome. Not just to go to Rome, but he dreamed of going to Rome to preach the gospel. This was his dream because he knew if he got to Rome and, and he, he preached the good news in Rome, uh, Rome was like kind of the influence to the rest of the world. But instead of finding him in Rome as a preacher, he ends up in Rome as a prisoner. He dreamed of being a preacher, and he ended up as a prisoner. Kind of sounds like the exact opposite, doesn't it? It's not what he set out to do. Everything he wanted, he got the exact, exact opposite. Paul could have framed this situation that he found himself in in one of two ways. He could have framed it negatively. He could have said, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me really sucks. As he's sitting in prison, chained to a Roman guard, 24 hours a day. And as a result of the hell I've been through, I'm quitting Creekside Group and I'm never going back to church again. That's what he could have said. What he did was he looked at this situation and he reframed it. Yeah, I'm in prison. Yeah, I'm chained to, uh, chained to a Roman guard. And this is what the Apostle Paul really said. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 and 13 says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has what? Has actually served to advance the gospel. 
As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that what? I am in chains for Christ. You see the reframing taking place here. Side note, how many of us have ever stopped coming to church for something far less than what Paul has experienced? Just thought I'd throw that out there. We're talking about reframing. Listen, if you were put in that situation, what most people would think, most people would think that this whole situation is bad, but reframing is good. I mean, here, Paul, he's chained to a Roman guard. <laughs> and and I, I love his response to this. He's basically saying, you think I'm chained to him? No, he's chained to me. And for eight hours a day, I get to share the gospel with this guy who is chained to me. And pick it up in verse 14, it says, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to pro proclaim the gospel without fear. Listen, it's not just the facts that are different. It's how you frame it. Now, I want to spend just a, a quick few minutes helping us with reframing our story and reframing our relationships. The reality is we all, every single one of us, have a battle going on in our mind. Every one of us has, have, or will have some complications that we will face. We all have stuff. Every one of us has stuff, whether it's fear-based stuff, financial problems stuff, relational issue stuff, health issue stuff, behavior issue stuff, bad news stuff. We all have stuff. What do we all have, church? Stuff. So often, 80% of the life that we live is pretty good, but when that 20% of stuff hits the fan, it ends up taking us out of God's will for our lives. And I want to talk to you about reframing our story and our relationships. Three very applicable tools that will help us renew our minds and win the war in our mind as God does what? Changes our thinking and God will eventually change our life. The first thing, if you're taking notes, write this down. Thank God for what didn't happen. The first part of this, the three-part tool that I'm giving you is thank God for what didn't happen. As an example, I'm talking about the bad stuff. As an example, it, it might look like this little story. A girl in her sophomore year of college uh, brings her parents in the room, sits them down and say, Mom, Dad, I got really bad news. And as they listened with surprise on their face, some worry and some fear, she goes on to tell them, I met this guy at a bar. We hooked up that night. And now I'm pregnant. But the good news is, he's been on probation and it's over in a year. 
And then after he's off probation, he's going to start looking for a job once he's out of rehab. And then he's going to consider marrying me. And since we can't afford to live on our own, guess what? We're going to have to move in with you. Can you imagine? Then, then she says, actually, that's not true. I got a D in chemistry, and it could have been a lot worse. And that's the point I wanted to make. <laughs> the moral of the story, there may be a time when you need to thank God for what didn't happen in your child's life. Can I get an amen, parents? Amen. Thank God for what didn't happen. Like I said, we're so, sometimes I get, I, we get so focused on that 20%. I'm going to see if I can illustrate it this way. Um, how about them dubs? All right. Andrew, I'm picking on you today. Come here. This is my friend. I would have I invited Luke up, but he's not here today. My buddy. Come here. Everyone, this is my friend Andrew. How's it going? Uh, he is engaged to... Kayla, who's getting her phone ready, she has no idea what's going to happen. It's not, it's not going to be Instagram worthy. It's just an illustration. Yeah. But uh, she, <laughs> do you want to smile to here? <laughs> All right. So here's the deal. Uh, what I want you to do is I want you to hold this golf ball. And th this is illustrating a point that we get so focused on the 20% of our life that it, it blinds us to what? Okay, focus on that golf ball. And I want you to read what it says. It's autographed by Raiders, so. Yeah, I, I don't like the Raiders, so I don't know who it is. Focus on that golf ball. And then without, without shifting your focus, I want you to remain focused on that golf ball. I want you to tell me what it says under, no, don't look at this. Look at the golf ball. Tell me what it says underneath the NBA. Right now I'm focusing on the, on the golf ball. Exactly. And, and here's what I want us to remember that, listen, we get so caught up in the 20% of the negative in our life, so focused on it that we miss what God is doing right in front of us. I don't know if you guys are picking up what I'm putting down. We get so consumed with this 20% of nothingness that we're blind to what God is doing right in front of our face. Why do we do that? So focused, we miss the 90 or 80% of what God is doing. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, of course. Good job, dude. Thank you. Thank you. I just think of the Warriors. Tonight, 6 p.m., be praying. Why? Why? Why do we focus on the 20%? Maybe it looks like this in your life. You, you, you made some goals or maybe you, you know, missed some goals at work and you didn't get the promotion and you did get the, take your focus off. Man, I didn't get my promotion. I didn't get the bonus, but thank God I got a job. Change it. Reframe it. What's a, that's reframing your situation. Uh, actual, real, legit story that happened. I was little, probably 10 or 11. I don't know the exact age. I'm bad with numbers, as my wife says. 
But I was out there washing one of my grandmother's car in the driveway. She had a a nice shiny Volvo parked uh, at the end of the driveway. I'm washing her car. The the hose got underneath the wheel. So in in my room, I get into this 19 some odd, 70 some odd car that, you know, you have to have the engine on for the brakes to work. And I took it out of park to back it off over the hose and the car kept going and it smacked right into the Volvo. I was terrified. I'm sitting there. I I ran into my room. I mean, you heard the crunch. She runs out. I run in my room. I'm sitting in my bunk bed or on the bottom bunk, just crying my eyes out and and terrified. I thought my life was about to end, (laughs) is what I thought. And my grandmother comes into my room and she says this, thank God no one was hurt. Grandma, I just destroyed your mobile. Yeah, but your cousin could have been in between those two cars and he wasn't. Thank God no one was hurt. Could have been a lot worse. You know what that is? It's reframing a situation. Reframing. In the whole scheme of things, there are going to be some things that are a huge deal. I get it and I understand it. But many times, it's those things that aren't such a, a big deal that end up knocking us out. It's, it's we're focused on, on this. When, when God's saying, hey, look, shift your gaze. Get your gaze off of you and put it on me. Reframing. Every now and then, We need to look through a reframed mind. We, we, we need to have a broader perspective. We need to move that golf ball and get our focus on the basketball. Not focusing on what you don't like, but reframe our perspective. Say, God, I thank you for what didn't happen. I thank you for what didn't take place. And we need to see the, the, the many good things. And I'm not, we gotta say, I'm not gonna let this one situation derail me from your will for my life. Thank God for what didn't happen. The second thing is in the book, it says we need to practice re or pre-framing. Pre-framing. Practice pre-framing. Decide, this is what it means, to decide before you face a situation how you will respond or engage in that situation. Why does this matter? Because our thoughts or our frames shape what you and I experience. I mean, if you're going to go to a job or do a task and say, man, this is going to be hard. This will be difficult. It's going to be uh, so frustrating. I don't think I'm ever going to do it or be able to do it. Guess what? That'll be true. But if you go into it saying, I'm going to have a blast. I'm going to get to learn something new. I'm going I'm to see things I haven't seen before. Hey, listen, I love a challenge. I love a challenge. It's going to be great. And you go in saying, you know, if, if you are, you know, another example, if you go into saying, you know what, listen, I can't stand going to these type of events. I don't know anybody. 
I got a chit-chat. I don't like to chit-chat. But if you say, hey, I am thankful that I get to go with my family, that my family gets to be together as we go to this event, and I get to go with people that I love. We need to change the frame. We need to pre-frame it. The way you frame often changes how we experience uh, pre-frame, uh, I want to give you a pre-frame example. Uh, this week, uh, uh, Pastor Aaron has been talking to me about like some noises that have been happening in my office. And I'll get to that in a second. But um, on one of these days, I think it was Thursday or Friday, I, I made some adjustments in my office and I said, hey, Pastor Aaron, uh, why don't you go into my office and, you know, tell me what you experience." And then she's already looking at me kind of side-eye, you know, kind of like. And then Pastor Jesse from the side, you know, he said, whoa, hey, PG, what'd you do, fart or something? You know, and <laughs> in, in front of, you remember this? And, uh, and then Aaron's like, yeah, did you, is that what I'm walking into? <laughs> now, by this time, I'm just playing along because... She's already pre-framed in her mind what is going to take place in my office. So I was letting her kind of sweat it out. And she kind of <laughs> walked in my office looking at me and going, looking at me and kind of going, I'm just, go, it'll be fine. She assumed, she predetermined, she pre-framed that something bad was going to happen to her in my office. And in reality, it was absolutely nothing. You know what it was? With the vents closed, we've been meeting in my office, and every time she's in there, she's like, it sounds like a jet engine going off in your office when the AC's on. And we couldn't figure out why. We just thought it was like that. But then she uh, said, maybe it's because your vents are closed and it's, it's making it super loud. So while she was gone, I opened the vents and it was dead quiet. Ice cold, but dead quiet. <laughs> now I know why they're shut. And then I told her, no, it's, I, what did you hear when you walked in my office? She said, nothing. I said, ha, 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 exactly. But she thought it was going to be something bad. See, many of us do that, don't we? We pre-frame. We, we've pre-framed many of the situations Many of the relationships that, that maybe you and I face in our life, we often, we often pre-frame it towards the negative if we're, being, if we're being completely honest. We pre-frame towards the negative. This is going to suck. I'm not going to church. They're full of hypocrites. What we need to do is we need to flip that frame and pre-frame with the thinking with, with thanking God for what didn't happen or and for what we learned throughout the process. So what can we do as the worship team comes up? We can thank God for what didn't happen. We can pre-frame our situation before we even go into it. The third thing is this. We can look for God's goodness. We can look for God's goodness the reality is you will always find what you are looking for. You will always find what you are looking for. If you look for the good, guess what? You're going to find the what? Good. If you always look for the bad, you're going to find 
the bad. I mean, if you, listen, you could be the person that says, you know what? I see the bad in everything. I don't trust people. People are all fake. You know, I don't trust anything on social media. It's all filters anyway. Uh, okay, never mind. Uh, you know, I, I, I always see the negative in everything. Every, you know, you're challenged by everything. If you want to see bad, you're going to see bad. You're going to find what you are looking for. If you want to see the good, how many of you, you want to see the best in others? You want to see the best in every situation. You know, you, you, want, to, you want to see the positive. You, want, you look at opportunities as just that. God opportunities to grow and to, to stretch. If you look for those things, guess what? You will find those things. Truth is, you will always find whatever you are looking for. It's called cognitive reframing. And what's interesting, if you go to therapy or a counselor and they're professional, and you know, what, what do they do when it comes to cognitive reframing? They, it, it's basically this, that they will help you by empowering you to decide the meaning of an event for yourself saying, you decide, you decide, you decide how you're going to do this. But I think we need to take it up a notch. And we need to begin to let Jesus to help us decide. Let Jesus help you decide. Let Jesus frame this for you. Because if God works in all things for the good of those who love him, then I think it's time that you and I, church, begin to reject, say reject, reject the unhealthy default frames that we've been hanging on the portrait that is our life. Reject them. I'm not going there. I'm going to take every thought captive and I'm going to make it obedient to who? Christ. Take and reject the unhealthy default frames. You're a loser. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never accomplish anything of significance. You'll never be out of debt. You'll always be alone by yourself. You'll never be good at this. You'll never be a good husband. You'll never be a good leader. You'll never be a, a, a good father. Reject it. No, no, I am. Not because of what I can do, but because of who he is in me. I'm gonna invite you to stand together. What are we gonna do, church? We are going to reframe it. Say reframe it. What are we gonna do? We're not, it's, it's, it's not passively receiving our circumstance, going, well, hey, whatever, yeah, okay. It is what it is. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about actively interpreting your, your, your situation. Actively, not passively. Not interpreting God's goodness through your circumstances. Well, God must be good because I'm experiencing some good things right now. No, because then the flip side of that, you're going, well, God must not be with me because my life sucks. 
We're not going to interpret God's goodness through our circumstances. We're going to interpret our circumstances through the goodness of God. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. Like Paul, what has happened to me? I'm not, what? No way. I'm not chained to a stinky Roman guard 24-7. He's chained to the good news, the gospel that I get to proclaim and preach 24-7. Because I know that God's going to use it. And what do we know? You can't control what happens to you. None of us can. So let's, let's, let's ask God for forgiveness for trying. Can we do that today? As we sing this next song, Lord, I need you. Say, God, I, I'm sorry for making it about me. I'm sorry for trying to control every situation. We can't control it. We can't control it. You can try but you can't. Instead, let's begin to control how we frame it through the grace, the goodness, the sacrifice of God. Can we do that? Can we spend some time doing that and singing about that today? Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. How many of you can agree with me that you need more of him today? Let's sing it out and let's declare it as we go in his presence.